I'm so excited today with my guest because you all know how much I love women in research and I do not make it um, uh, through much of a conversation in the insights industry without talking about people who are amazing colleagues, who are mentors, people who have your back. And that almost always for me has been an amazing experience with women in research. And so today I have Roseanne Luth and I mean, she has some excellent experience, but more than anything, she has that spirit of collaboration and helping others. And so we're going to get to talk about a little bit of a romp through the history of, uh, you know, of market research in this industry, but welcome Roseanne to the show. I'm really glad to have you. Thank you. It's nice to be here, Priscilla. I haven't done this in a long time. So easy. <laughs> it's so um, easy. It's be so easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Roseanne Luth is the founder and the president of, of Luth Research, and they are out of San Diego. And I got to tell you, I know both of her daughters who work in the company along with their entire full team. And so it's something I just completely respect and I admire is this, this amazing work ethic in your family. And I love to, as a working mom, you know, looking and seeing what you've been able to build. So I'm super impressed. I'm also just lucky to be around a great, uh, you know, group of leadership. So I thank you for carving out the way in the, in the insights industry when it was uh, less easy for women in the insights. Isn't that true from your experience? Oh my gosh. There were so many times that I, uh, that I was the only woman in the room. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, but I will say when I started in this business, which was 1977, before there were even fax machines, does that age me or not? Um, there was a lot of women in the business and our conferences in the industry, there was, there was a lot of support and help. We didn't all talk about it the way we do nowadays. But you could sit down and you could say, okay, so-and-so will pay me. What did you do? And, and they were great. Uh, women were very, very helpful. And fortunately, they were in the business. We were, can I say it, at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. We were doing the data collection, which was all the hard work and making sure that things got done. We, we actually, I actually started door to door. So you can imagine what that was like, trying to do sample plans in different cities. And um, they were all women until we all started making money. And then the men sort of kind of started. Oh, (laughs) look at this. This could be a good job. Well, yeah. it's so it's so impressive because, you know, Luth Research, you've been able to grow now to over 300 highly trained and highly dedicated employees. And it's a very cool environment that you have. But what I really want to talk about today is really, you know, what you see coming up because you've had regional multinational clientele, you've been working in academia, you've worked with governments, you've worked in the corporate places really almost every type of consumer and market research issue has been seen at some point, um, you know, by, by your team at Luth Research. And so I would love to hear a little bit about what you see coming up. And really my biggest question to you is having been in this so long with so much digital change, so much, you know, um, uh, so much new technology, what's been your tried and true way of staying ahead of the curve because Luth Research has some really impressive technology. So tell me about your thought process, how you kind of, you know, uh, kept morphing. Like, how did you, how did you keep uh, motivating yourself to always be doing the next technology in this industry? That's a great question. Actually, two questions. So what I see coming up um, and what I've always seen um, is 
by following the consumers that we're interviewing. So, so it, you know, our core is data collection. We've been doing it for years and years and years because clients needed it, whether they were research clients or end user clients. And generally, we were working for many, many different research companies. And I remember, I mean, the, the biggest change I ever made was in 1998 when, when we shifted to, to electronic digital, which, I mean, it was the dot-com days. And so not only did we not know anything about technology, because no one did, so it was kind of a free market, but things were going kind of crazy. Prior to that, I realized that people didn't want to do surveys anymore. Initially, when we started door to door, we, you know, you could walk into someone's home and you could do a survey with them while they were ironing or feeding the baby or whatever, all the way up to starting to do phone work and calling them at home. And then there was the do not call and all of that. So all these shifts that are going on, they're going on outside of our company, not inside our company. But it's all about keeping track of what people are doing and how, how they're feeling and why they're buying and what ads they're seeing. So when I realized in the phone room that people aren't answering, we had to do something else. We shifted then to, I realized we had to do it online. We had to, because it was the newest thing. Everybody wanted to be online. There was nothing to do initially. And when we shifted to digital, which, you know, took me, it's been, we've been working on it for 10 years on the digital side, tracking people, their behavior. We just happened to be at the right place at the right time because we had, we had already embraced technology. It was critical to us. We had to have the platforms and we had to have, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing this quickly going through, through my past, but what we're watching right now, um, and this is because of COVID probably, and I can't, you can't get through a conversation without talking about it. But when we shifted to digital, it was how are we going to sell that information? Massive amounts of data that we had to put together. But people were all online. We have to do it. So COVID kind of, kind of pushed that technology for us. Uh, 2020 was not a great year, but 2021 was because all of a sudden the brands were saying, ooh, my customers aren't in the store can't see what's moving in the store. It's all digital. And where are they going? And if they're all on Walmart or Amazon, how are we going to see what they're doing? And if they're leaving their shopping cart and all of that, it's very, very different. I remember the days when we had videos on the shopping carts. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. with, With all that information, you realize that you better change your technology and how you're collecting the data. The other thing is, I have this fear of being obsolete. <laughs> we all personally, should. <laughs> personally, I have that too. But um, in the business, um, you can very quickly become obsolete. Mm-hmm. If you're doing door-to-door, it goes away. If you're doing the phone room, they're now almost all gone, even though we still do a little bit of that because I like having every methodology in-house. But, um, you know, you, you, have to, you have to be flexible and you have to you have to see what's going on outside of your company and be fearful like right. I was right. in order to make a change. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a huge change. When we decided to go to digital, we had an opportunity and it was with Google and Direct TV. It was really very, very cool. And um, we said to Google, you can't seem to get anybody to, to get the tech done. Why don't you try us? <laughs> we were wow. doing the, the consumer side and we were doing the interviewing side and they did and we did it. 
And but you start somewhere. You look at your opportunities and you start somewhere. Well, you start somewhere, but over that course of time, you all have become really the industry leading experts on path to purchase and really part of your technology, which is what I want to talk with you about today is come along and really powered that understanding of path to purchase with your revolutionary technology about behavioral data collection online. So tell everybody a little bit about that technology and what that means. Like, how do you actually follow people with what they do? So you're not really asking for the traditional survey, which is, you know, self-reported. Oh yeah, I bought that. Or I love this, or I did. Instead, you actually get to see what they really do online. So tell us about that technology. So the path purchase is, um, I mean, the overall is called VQ Intelligence. The name that we came up with years and years ago as we were, we were transitioning into this. The technology is, a, is an app and it is downloaded to our members. We have a panel and we, you know, when we started doing online surveys, we developed a panel. It was the only way to find people. And we, we use, I'm going kind of back a little bit to tell you the, the base of where we're getting our, our respondents. We had amassed about 8 million people globally who agreed to do surveys online and get paid for doing it. I always felt that we should pay our respondents because they're giving us free data that we make money on. So we should compensate them in some way. So as a subset of that, we asked some people to download our tech. And it was an app that we developed internally. We we started on um, the PC and then we quickly transitioned to mobile. So if you download our app, we can see everything you do. We can see your search. We can see your purchase behavior. We can see what, what you've done, what websites you've clicked on. Now, think about what's coming in the, in the funnel is all of that massive amounts of data. So the app wasn't difficult. The most difficult part of all of this was taking the massive amounts of data and making sense of the data. Because you get a URL, you don't even know what website it is. And we've perfected that, but it's taken us about five years to be able to do that. So we have libraries, we have taxonomies, we have about 158 retail outlets where we can identify their product or their purchases, all of that going on. And we had to come up with something called an ETL. I'm not going to use much of the technology (laughs) acronyms, but... That allowed us to use AI and be able to capture that information um, quickly. Uh, Because initially, when a client would come to us, we would spend hours putting it all together to figure out a way to do it. And thank God for AI and and all of the, the newer things that come along that we've been able to adopt to make it go faster. Now we feel like we really have it licked and we know what we're doing. And that's sort of overlapped with COVID and everybody being online. It was very, very interesting and and a lot of fun to be in and a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. with technology. There's a lot of tech firms out there doing that, but they don't have the core sort of all the other methodologies and, Mm -hmm. you know, the core business being in market research and understanding what to do. So when you talk about the surveys, we can follow them, we can track them, but we can also reach out and ask them the why. We can do a trigger survey. So we can combine those methodologies um, along with a deep dive on a qualitative. Would you mind spending an hour with us and telling us why you did that and how your habits have changed and those kinds of things? Very rich data when you can merge that all of that together. 
So that's really hitting at the heart of the age old issue with consumer insights. And that is what they refer to as the say do gap. Like, so if you survey someone, this Mm -hmm. is what I will say I will do, but then I actually go out and do something different. And this is interesting. What I hear you saying is that there are technology companies who have done things that are similar to us, but they don't come from our background and understanding that there is a more comprehensive look at the actual consumer that is needed. So you need to be able to know what the consumers feel. Um, So that can be some qualitative um, or or even some quantitative, but the opportunity to come back to that very person and say, tell us more, but then what they say, and also then what they really actually do online. And in the mix of all of those, it seems like some very powerful insights. It is, and and our clients love it, Um, especially our brand and retail clients. We're just starting to get into healthcare and some of the media. Um, the media is used to, though, so I always tell you the other side of the coin. The media is used to looking at broad, massive amounts of data that they're, that they're projecting so that they can place their ads in certain places. However, you're not really sure what you're getting. You're getting one click or something like that. So I say that we do a deep dive. We can really see individuals and we can see where they went from place to place and and we can ask them why if we want to. So there, there's two ways to look at it. But remember, we're in market research. We never interview a million people. We take a representative sample and interview them. So we have a larger, you know, not, not to be too salesy, but we have that large panel. If they don't have our app and we want to track them, say, going forward, we can ask them to download the app for a couple of months or something like that. So that gives us a broader opportunity to capture maybe a low incidence or people that are going to buy an automobile or God forbid, <laughs> or how they feel about gasoline prices. <laughs> a so, lot um, of sensitive <laughs> issues yeah. right now. Yeah. So really help me, help me put this all together with how this gives a a brand, a competitive advantage, like knowing these kinds of pieces of information triggers actual experiences, actual purchases or intents or interest, all this kind of stuff along the consumer's actual journey. So what does this sound like when you are talking with some of your clients, which I'm sure you can't divulge the clients, but tell us what those conversations sound like. What are they asking for and saying, oh my gosh, this is, this is something we didn't know. So help me understand how this sounds in your world. Well, I'm not a salesperson, so I don't have a sales pitch for you, but our clients, I can tell you what they say. Thank God you did this for me. It may be one tiny thing, but I had no idea when they went to Amazon, this is what was happening. Remember, Amazon is like the the biggest retailer out there. Um, And so even those little, um, that little bit of information is super, super helpful um, we have a dashboard. They can they can download a dashboard and watch them over time if they want to see how the trends are changing. And from one day to the next, as our world changes um, because of certain things, social things even, how is it affecting the brand and how they're buying and what they're saying? Um, and we can like we can track them. We can see what they're doing. They may put a whole bunch of stuff in their cart and leave their cart. More people leave the cart than used to leave their cart full uh, and not buying. They can ask why if they need, if they want to. Um, so I, I think brands are kind of lost right now. And so mm-hmm. when they get back to us and say, oh, my God, you gave me this huge um, 
massive bits of information, both detailed and qualitative and quantitative surveys, but also seeing their digital behavior. And a lot of times we can put all of that together or we'll give it to the client and they'll use it as they, they go to, you know, the higher level executives and say, hey, you know, we don't want to be on Amazon or we want to be on Amazon and we want to link to something if they're searching. Those so, kinds of things are very beneficial. Yeah. So you've alluded to this, you know, like big data and small data and the in-between is some real value. But tell me a little bit more specifically, like if a brand came to you, um, I could see that maybe that almost like you talk about a traditional shop along where, you know, a, a researcher is with someone in a store, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you're basically saying you can do this shop along right on e-commerce, right? From the comfort of their own, own home, That's or right. if they're on the bus shopping on their phone, you know, That's whatever right. it is. That's so you're right. doing these highly, you know, tech um, technology enabled shop alongs, but let's talk about like within a company, how does this help? Not just the broader strokes, but how do even the brands who feel maybe be a little bit lost right now. How are they able to dissect the information, maybe even into categories? What what do you what do you hear them asking you about that? So let's think about a, a food, you know, uh, manufacturer, you know, and and what's happening online, or even think about like Walmart. Well, how are people shopping within different categories? Tell me about what you're hearing out there in real world examples right now. So so you're asking me to, to give you some information. Um, I, I'm going to give you an example of something that we did do. Um, because not so much our, our AEs, but our market researchers who are doing the final report have, have to go back and forth with the client. And I'm not involved in those conversations because I'm not a researcher, but there was a children's, it's not a toy. It was an event. So I'm not going to name names. And <laughs> they wanted to see what kids were doing online because people were not coming to their venue as much as they used to. So they wanted to know what kids were doing. Now, mind you, this is very broad. The only way to know what kids are doing is what are they watching on TV, which you can buy that data. What are they doing on their Kindles or their mobile phones or their parents' mobile phones? So this is what we did. We went out and and I'm sort of giving you a a long (laughs) explanation. We bought 2,000 Kindles. We put our app on it. And we recruited people out of our panel and we shipped all of the, and we got permission from the parents and we shipped the Kindles to the households and the children played on the Kindle for a year. So that there's a lot of broad information there and they're still looking at it and they're still using it. Some of the data we gave them was raw data so they could just see what the kids were doing, how they were interacting, how long they were interacting and how they were visiting their site and if their numbers were going up and down and then combine all of that data together. Like I said, if I were a researcher, I could tell you all these wonderful things that I can tell the client. Sometimes you don't know. You just got to you just got to watch them for a year and see. Oh, I love that. That's really more about not creating maybe a biased hypothesis, but really looking at the actual data and that can be really powerful. I'm going to unpack something you said a little earlier. You mentioned just a small little phrase that came out of your mouth that I I thought would be interesting to talk about. You said, you know, a lot of brands right now are feeling lost. Mm 
And we know there's not anybody who's come out of unscathed from the last two right, years, right. right? And of course, brands are feeling it too. Shoppers have changed their behaviors dramatically. Some things were trends and some things are, um, you know, are also trending backwards. Now we had a huge adoption of online grocery, you know, shopping or curbside things. And some of those things are trending down and brands are dying to know what's going to stay, what's, what's, what's going on but specifically about brand loyalty. What did you see happen over these last couple of years? And is that something that you think is like right on the top of, um, you know, the, the thoughts of these brands? You know, I, I, I can give you some, some sort of results, but that's only based on the clients that we've worked for. Um, we have a really good relationship with a, a company that makes wine. <laughs> I, I should have asked. I would have. I would have mentioned their name. And what was happening throughout COVID? Guess what? They're not selling wine to restaurants because the restaurants are closed. They're not selling wine in the grocery stores because people don't want to go into the stores. What they're doing is they're they're having it shipped to them. So, and interestingly, we're giving them information on how people are behaving online so that they can attract people online instead of in the grocery stores and end of aisle and all of those other things. They had a very good year throughout COVID because more people were, more people were drinking. Um, but even if they put it all together and they lost all those sales at the restaurants and at the store level, they were making more sales with people online. So they were interacting. We were giving them information. Do they want to come out with their new brand? Yes or no. Do they want to change the label? Those kinds of things. And they're finding that the grocery store, I will tell you that um, one of the things that I saw in, and I can't remember which report it was, was that they were, people were more loyal online to the brand than they were in the grocery store because they have a bigger vision and online you have to click through it. And it's easier just to go to my brand get the case of wine or whatever, which is amazing that they could even deliver all that, but, and found that they were more loyal. However, you need to know people are back in the stores now. So you have to watch for Right, right. So there's not one easy answer to some of these no. problems the brands are facing right now. Well, let me let me hear a little bit about who you really work with, because what we've talked about pretty uh, closely is a lot about shopper insights, yeah. right? So I can tell that somebody who would need some shopper insights would really need to talk with you. But you also mentioned that you really are full service and there aren't really... Um, you know, a lot of people who are just, no, we're going to stay full service. You know, we're seeing a lot of um, specialization within market research, Mm -hmm. but you also mentioned that you work with media and, you know, researchers and, and you also work with end clients. So who who else am I missing? Or is there, you know, is there a particular um, ideal client for you uh, that, uh, that would really benefit from the most from having a, a lot of methodologies available? We've focused on retail and branches because of COVID and just because everybody has switched. Um, Healthcare is very, very important these days. People are not feeling well. They're taking meds. How are they doing it? How do you monitor them? Uh, Anybody that needs insights, we're agnostic. We can get them. And it doesn't matter if you're making a decision or you're making a purchase. There is a path that you're taking to make those decisions. 
I think in healthcare, it's more about why people are not taking their meds when they're supposed to, because health, that's a big that's a big concern in healthcare. Um, we don't focus on healthcare. Um, we have a partner that has a very large panel, but like I said, we're agnostic. We we can do just about anything if if they're looking at it. The reason we don't go, we don't push into media, and so sometimes it's what we know. We go after more of the clients that we already know. And we've been in, we've been in, you know, auto, we've been in beverages, um, we're in retail, we have brands. Um, some of the media that we have are concerned about children, and it's easier to get to kids to go through a panel of people that you know, and that trust you and that will let you interview their children. We've done a lot of that. So 100%, um, there's so many privacy concerns. And so yeah, you having a long term established panel can really cut through some of that concern pretty quickly. Yes. Yes. Mm, yeah. That's because interesting. They trust you and they know mm. you and they've been with you. Mm-hmm. For yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay. I'm going to unpack something else you mentioned. <laughs> so we've got these massive problems that there's, you know, brand loyalty issues. It's, it's definitely in flux more than it probably ever has been. But you mentioned something earlier about that people abandon their carts online far more often than they complete their sale. So I'd love to hear from you what you think, um, you know, what is going on? We we do know that customers really tolerate less friction in their buying experience, right? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we all can agree on that. And, you know, consumers want it to be easy and just, uh, they want that path to purchase to be super smooth. So, you know, your team is the buyer journey, you know, and the consumer journey, the path to purchase team of experts, you know, what do you think is going on there? What can you tell us about that? They want things fast. If it doesn't happen fast, they're out. Now, that doesn't mean they don't come back. And we, you know, we aren't watching every single solitary thing. If that's not our client, all we will care about is what they're going to buy or what they're not going to buy um, on, on what's in their cart. Um, so you, you're kind of putting me on the spot. I, if I think about what's going on with our, with our world, people are not. They're privacy conscious, but they want it easy and can't have both. You know, they want Google to know what you what you need because they're tracking you and they're getting smarter as you're searching. Um, I, I really am puzzled as to what we have to do next to be able to keep people engaged. Um, we even started a new panel, which was letting people own the panel themselves. I don't know if you're familiar with Savvy Shares. Um, but it's giving them shares in the company instead of uh, dollars because sending people checks, which we do for validation purposes, is old. Um, there's so many things and opportunities out there for buying and sharing. And I think they're overwhelmed and overloaded. Now, how you cut through that, I don't know. I'm just watching like you are uh, to see what's going on and how in market research, we can still be um, critical for our clients to be able to figure out what their respondents are doing. Fortunately, it's it's a time where everybody's being somewhat kind and caring and willing to give their opinions. And I hope that gets even better as we go along. I love that. No. So savvy shares, this is unique in the market. So you're saying then that your company, then instead of um, paying for the actual respondents for the direct response, you're paying basically a dividend every once in a while back for what the actual survey produces. Is that what I'm hearing? 
Yes, we're the only, we're only the second company that was approved by the SEC where they valued data as a form of currency. So you wow. can give them shares for their data. Um, and, and we kind of copied somebody that was also in San Diego, who's a healthcare company that's a good friends of ours. And um, it's a very unique. The people that are in that panel have already received two, two, uh, uh, two dividends because we keep the dividends coming because mm-hmm. we should. Right. Um, they are more loyal. They are more dependable. They're more responsive. It's their company. Mm-hmm. And so getting that concept out to them was difficult and very different. But I thought it was what was coming up right. is that you want, you want to be a part of things. And you want to own the company and you want to make the decisions as to whether or not you're going to do a survey and it's your data. Yeah. And that those were all the things we we attacked. We did it during COVID. I <laughs> one of those things where you wish you wouldn't have done something because it was very expensive. Right. Um, but uh, and we haven't really advertised it at all. So mm-hmm. maybe somebody will go Pick check it out this. for us. Well, that's we're... I mean, here we are again. So Luth Research innovating. This is something that other people weren't thinking about. And obviously innovation like that is always painful, even if you don't do it during COVID. Right. It's a lot of money. <laughs> right. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. And you probably had to explain it to a lot of people. But I think for people who are concerned um, with privacy, you know, and, and really are noticing that there is a rising concern for trust and privacy. And um, but yet customers still want to be heard. They consumers yeah. want to have people, you know, brands really work around them. And so we have to find a happy medium between, uh, between those. And I think building that, um, you know, that kind of a, um, a product already from a place of rapport and a place of trust within the industry, I think that's a, a total win. So we'll definitely put that in the show notes and make sure people can go over and check out how to become a part of Survey Savvy. That, that's that's pretty awesome. And well, that's you know, wonderful I, of you to say. <laughs> I can't imagine going through SEC regulations. So oh my hats off to you on, <laughs> on that one. I love it. Well, uh, Roseanne, I hope that we see you around some of the uh, upcoming market research shows. It's been a delight. I've gotten to know a couple of people from your team and they are certainly innovators. They are certainly very focused on the work ethic and always just saying, you know, look, we have a lot of methodologies available here at Luth Research. And I feel like they're not very fast to rush to judgment and say, oh, this is what you need, but rather to be able to step back. And I think that's what's needed in our industry right now. So I really appreciate that about your team. Well, Priscilla, it was great fun. Thanks so much for being, <laughs> for pushing me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> we need to hear from more people that are, you know, innovators and 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 really, you know, you've been such an innovator behind the scene. And um, yeah, I follow a couple of threads. So big shout out. Thank you to Ann Brown over at Gazelle Global for introducing uh, me to you and just being able to say, hey, if you think that I've, you know, pioneered something, wait till you get a load of Roseanne Luth. So, oh, how nice of her. She's a good friend. <laughs> I absolutely friend. love it. Well, thank you you for being on Ponderings from the Perch. And if you like the show, we would love to have you give us a rating and help us be discovered by more people, but definitely check out the show notes and go check out Survey Savvy, go check out Luth Research and what they can do. And from all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.